Thank you, Jeff. I wish you all could stand up here and see all your beautiful smiling faces. This is a, a packed house. I love it. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Wow, yeah, see, that's encouraging, right? And uh, thank you, Clay, for making the announcements. Thank you, Brother Carl, for leading us in singing, which sounded fantastic today. Thank you, Brother Joe, for your, your wonderful, heartfelt, uh, well-thought-out prayer. We appreciate you so much. Thank you all so much for, for being here today and, and being a part of uh, this family and worshiping God today. We're going to be in John chapter 9 for the entirety of our, our lesson today. We're going to talk about opening our eyes to Jesus. And there's a, a powerful, detailed story here in John chapter 9. It's, uh, it's one of the most detailed miracles, even though we don't have the man's name listed that Jesus heals. Nevertheless, there's many details, and it's a far-reaching effects from this miracle. It, it continues to be brought up in, in later chapters as Jesus is about to be persecuted and eventually killed. And I don't want to lose what has just happened in at the end of chapter 8. Uh, John is, is building... This, this idea of the divinity of Christ. And we see at the end of chapter 8, uh, in verses 58, Jesus said, Then verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. He's referring back all the way to the burning bush, all the way to Moses. He's invoking the name of Abraham here. He's saying, I am preeminent. I am greater. I am before Abraham. And he's invoking Moses, and he's recalling when God said his name, you tell them that I am sent you, I am that I am. He's declaring his divinity. Jesus is declaring that there at the end of chapter 8, and look what happens. They very much understood what he was saying. He's saying, I am the Messiah. And in the very next verse, what do they do? They They took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them, and so pass by. So he is able to, to slip away from them somehow, whether miraculously or not. They are so angry that they are going to kill him for making that statement about him being divine. That's what's just happened as we enter in to John chapter 9 in this powerful chapter. And as you look at, at the first couple of verses, as, in, as Jesus passed by, He saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? There we go. Uh, To me, this is an interesting interaction. There's this man here who has been born blind. He is begging. Uh, That is his occupation. That's how he's able to live. And the disciples are with Jesus. Jesus notices this man. But the disciples are there and they're just like, Hey, Jesus, tell us, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned? Was it this man who was born blind? Was he born sinful? Was he born in sin? Or is is it his parents? And that's why they were sinful. And that's why this man was born blind. To me, this is like when, if you've ever seen a doctor and he has students with him 
And they're going around to the patients, and he's, he's teaching those students. And what do they do? They go to this patient, and they say, oh, well, this diagnosis is this, and he doesn't have very much chance of living here. Here's, here's what we're going to do for him. Uh, we're going to go over to this patient. And they almost act like the patient's not even there, don't they? Like there's, there's a person there who's going through whatever it is that they're going through, and this doctor's just teaching those students and and not really caring very much for the individual that's suffering. There's no empathy there. I kind of feel like that's what we're getting from the disciples here, is they're wanting to follow Jesus, uh, they're wanting him to teach them things, but uh, here's this man, let's just talk about him right over there. Was it his sin or his, his parents' sin that caused him to be born blind from birth? There's just no empathy there at all. And Jesus doesn't doesn't do that. You know, we start to look at Jesus' answer. Jesus answers them, verse 3, And neither has this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus answers them. He says, your premise, your idea is false. This man is, is not a sinner. His parents were not sinners. That is not why he, why he was born blind. Now let's be really clear here. He's not saying that this man is without sin or his parents never sinned. He's saying that this man is not blind as a, a consequence, as a punishment for some sin that they did. Now sin often has consequences and, and it could be that you have a child born uh, blind or, or with some other problem. There's fetal alcohol sin. There's all sorts of different things that could cause consequences of sin, uh, something along the lines of, of blindness. But that's not what this is about. He's saying this man is blind and God is going to be able to work through his providence that the power of God can be shown in this man. That's what's going to be happening here. So, so Jesus does not take this bait. He, he's not going to talk over this man as if he is, is someone not worthy uh, of his time or consideration. He's going. He says, no, he was put here for a purpose. God has purpose for this man. You think about, uh, I really thought we'd get to Romans 8.28 today, but we didn't quite make it there in Bible class, did we? But all things work for good for them that love the Lord. It's, it's sort of like that here. He's not necessarily saying that, oh, this man was born blind just so he could be here for me to heal him and show this. But he's saying through the providence of God, God is turning this situation, this bad thing, that this man was born blind, into something that can be worked for good. Now, oftentimes when we we find some situation, we find ourselves in a bad situation, and what do people say? They say things like, and they mean well, right? They say there's a silver lining to whatever dark cloud. Is that what you want to hear when you're going through it? It's not, is it? It's, I don't want to think about the good things that are going to come from this bad thing I'm going to. I want to concentrate on the bad thing that's happening right now. And uh, I tell you, that's it's. you don't always want to hear, well, some good's going to come from this. But for them that love the Lord, we know that there are deeper meanings. We know that good can and does work 
from sometimes bad things and bad situations. I think it's important for us to keep that in mind. Jesus also emphasizes here, he's like, look, I've got to do my work now because I'm not always going to be here. I've got to work while it's day, while I'm alive, while it's time to work. Because the night comes, it comes for everybody when you can't work any longer. He's reaching that deeper understanding and he's applying that to the apostles and the disciples that are with him. He's letting them know that, look, this is the time for works. This is the time when we are working in the kingdom. We're, we're pushing this forward because I have a mission and you're going to have a mission. And then he says that statement, I am the light of the world. So he's talking about this blind man who's in darkness. And he says, but I'm the light of the world. Um, you think about Psalm 119. That word is a lamp unto my path, a light unto my way. Jesus is, is referring back to that just like he referred to I am before. Jesus is the word and he is there among them at this time. He is making powerful statements about his purpose and his place in God's ultimate plan. These are important statements that John is drawing out here through his gospel account. <clears throat> and then it's time for Jesus to take action. Look at verse 6. It says, When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Jesus is taking action. He's taking command. He's doing something. Notice the man hasn't said anything yet. Then Jesus says in verse 7, And said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. I think it's a really interesting miracle. Because we see so many times in the miracles of Jesus, Jesus instantly does it. One, one time he's able to, to cure someone who's not even there. The man just came and asked for, for his daughter, and he's able, he says, I know you have the power to do it, just do it here, you don't have to come to my house. But typically, somebody's asking Jesus for something. You know, this man was just evidently sitting there. He wasn't struggling to see Jesus like we think about Zacchaeus, who climbed the tree, to see Jesus. He wasn't pushing to get to him, to touch the hem of his garment like the woman with the issue of blood. Who, who, if I could just touch his garment, I know I could be healed, and she was. He hasn't called out to him like blind Bartimaeus does. Blind Bartimaeus, another blind man that Jesus healed, he called to Jesus, and he fervently called, and he would not be discouraged. He continued to call to Jesus, and Jesus healed him. And he hasn't been lowered down through the roof by his friends to be healed by Jesus, he doesn't even seem to know who Jesus is. And we get a little taste of that a little later as he testifies before the Sanhedrin or before the Pharisees. But Jesus takes time and he makes clay out of his, his spit and out of the dirt that's there and he rubs it on this man's eyes, on this man's face. Is that not odd? It's very odd. Did the man not say anything? Like, what are you doing? I'm rubbing mud on my face. 
right? It's very strange. And then he commands him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He sends him to the place called sent. I find that interesting as well. There's deeper meaning there. He's got a mission for this man, and he's given him a command. He says, go wash in this pool. And we get the obedient action of the man. He goes and does it. There's no debate. There's no argument. There's no discussion. He says, this guy came up to me. He's evidently some some sort of man from God. He's put clay on my eyes. He told me to go wash the pool of Siloam, and I did it. And what happened? He could see. I mean, that's amazing. But Jesus isn't there. Jesus has gone, and he's gone on. The man has gone on to the pool of Siloam. Jesus is no longer there, but the man can now see. It's an amazing, amazing event for him. He has never ever seen, and now he can see. How wonderful is that? It's it's the equivalent of like salvation to us. That's the comparison. Is the the sin that Jesus has removed from us, the burden of sin that we were not able to remove from ourselves, he has removed it. It's that same kind of feeling. How amazing is that? Well, it's like a blind man who has never seen, who can now see. It's a wonderful, it's a time of rejoicing, it's a time of excitement. He's going to want to share this. Let's look what happens in verse 8. The neighbors, therefore... And they which before had seen him that was blind said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But said, I am, he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Oh, it's wonderful. This wonderful thing has happened. My neighbors, my friends, people who have seen me all these years and know that I've, I've been blind and I've had to beg, now they're seeing me in a different light. Now they, they know that I've been given my sight. How exciting. That's what we would expect them to rejoice. Let's, let's have a feast. Let's celebrate this. Oh, you've got to see... The temple, let's go show you that you haven't seen the temple before. All these exciting things that you're going to be able to see. Is that how they react? It is not how they react. It's, it's really sad. It's sort of like when someone obeys the gospel. Oftentimes, they're very excited. You know, they, they've come to an understanding of the scriptures to the point of where they know how to be saved and they put on Christ in baptism, they've obeyed the gospel and now they're excited. The burden of sin has been lifted. I've got to go tell all my friends. I'm changed. I'm a new creature. I'm not going to do some of the things that I did before, but it's so wonderful. You've got to, you've got to come with me. You've got to be like me. And oftentimes the reaction of their friends is not good. It's like, what do you mean you've changed? We want to still go out and do the things we've done in the past. We're not ready for that kind of change. And, and sometimes they're, they're jealous and sometimes they're upset. And that's what happened here in verse 13. It says, and they brought him to the Pharisees, him that aforetime 
was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, he put clay upon mine eyes and I washed and do see. So he's telling the story again, this time probably a little bit more nervous. He's with the Pharisees. The people say, we've got to get the authorities involved here. It's not that we're rejoicing that the man can see that this miracle has happened. It's, it's got to be from God. This is this is an amazing, powerful sign from God. Let's get the authorities. The Pharisees need to hear about this. It's not in such a way, it's framed, obviously. It's not that they're, oh, we've got to tell the Pharisees. They'll be happy about this. This is great. No, it's like, wait, you got your sight back? It's the Sabbath. That's a violation of the law. You shouldn't have your sight back. Jesus, this man is not a good man. Let's take him to the the authorities. And they question him. And there's going to be a mix of reactions from them about how Jesus is seen by the Pharisees. Some of them are going to be amazed and impressed and, and probably a little bit scared. You think about in the Gospel account of John, Nicodemus, Back in John chapter 3, he's a Pharisee, and he comes by night, probably because he's a little bit scared. But what does he say? He says, no one, we know, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher of God, because no one could do the signs that you do unless he was from God. He's a Pharisee. All the way back in John chapter 3, he said that. Do the Pharisees know what's going on here? They've got to know. That Pharisee knew, Nicodemus. Yet, some of the Pharisees don't react that way. From fear, from jealousy, from anger, they instead react quite a different way. And you would expect their reaction to be one of joy and happiness. After all, This has never happened before. Now, miracles have happened before, but never has someone who was born blind been made to see. That has never happened before. It's amazing, this sign. It cannot be denied, but we're going to try. The Pharisees are going to try every which way they can to deny it. They are spiritually blind, and they refuse to see. Look at verses 16 and 17. Therefore, it said, some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The man who was born blind, he's not a follower of Jesus up to this point. He didn't even really seem to know Jesus was. He wasn't crying out to him to heal him. But he healed him. He gave him his sight. He obeyed what he said, and he was given his sight. And the conclusion, 
he's thinking about this as he's going through this and he's seeing the reactions of his neighbors and his friends. He's seeing the reaction of the Pharisees and the fear in some of their eyes. And we know he's got to be a sinner because he did this on the Sabbath. What do you say about him? He's a prophet. He speaks for God. He's here on a mission from God, on behalf of God. And there's a division among them. You think maybe Nicodemus is in there saying, we know he's doing these signs. He's got to be from God. Sinners can't do these things. There's divisions among them, but the ones who are spiritually blind are carrying the day. And so we get to verse 18. It says, But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, said his parents, he is of age, ask him. So they don't lie. They say, yep, that's our son. Yes, he was born blind, but we don't know how he was. You know, he's told us that this man did this thing, but we don't know. We don't know how he was given his sight. Ask him. He's old enough. It's kind of cowardly, right? I mean, they're throwing their son under the bus here, right? That's... Um, we don't want to be cast out of the temple ask, or out of the synagogue. You ask him. Maybe he'll, he'll, he'll tell you the truth that he can be cast out, but not us. So they question these parents. And why did they give that kind of answer? This hesitancy to stand for the man who had just given their son sight. You know, he wasn't able to provide for himself before, except for by begging. Now he's going to be able to work and provide for himself, he's been given this great and joyful gift. You would expect his parents, of all people, to be happy for him and excited and willing to stand for the person who gave their son the sight, but they're, they're not. The Bible tells us why. Fear. Now, that's oftentimes the case. With one who has been converted, they've gone to their friends and gotten rejection there. They then go to their family, other people who who they love and care about, they want to share the gospel with their family. And it's usually very difficult for someone to share the gospel with their family because of different, you know, if if you're trying to share the gospel with your parents, you know, they're used to being the ones in charge and the ones who are setting the rules and the standards, and now you're coming in conflict with what they've been taught and what they're teaching you because the Bible's different than that. Oftentimes there's fear, there's... Jealousy. I've, I've seen where people have been cast out of their houses because they obeyed the gospel. And even though they're, they're newborn babies in Christ, they immediately have to face very difficult obstacles and struggles. And the church should rally around those people and help those people. And that's their, their family too. And sometimes those parents, those siblings, those spouses, they can be reached. But it's very difficult. And that's the case here. There's fear coming from them. 
So then we get to verse 24. And they call the man back before them. It says, Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. We use that in the the hymn, Amazing Grace, right? We pull that from this, this verse. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? They can't deny it any longer that this is this has actually happened. His parents have confirmed that it's him, that he was born blind, and and he's told them how it happened. He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore, would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? Ooh, that's pretty bold. Uh, And there's some additional wordplay if you... you, Going to the Greek, he's saying, I've told you already, I was blind, are you deaf? Uh, that's what he's, he's saying to them. That's very bold for a man who was, who was just a beggar. Uh, and now they react about like you'd expect them to react, don't they? Uh, they revile him. I was blind, but now I see. And then he goes into verse 28. Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know know that God spoke uh, unto Moses. As far as this fellow, we know not from whence he is. And the man answered, And how bold and brave and wonderful are these statements from this man. They're getting very emotionally attached here. They're very upset that this has happened. This is messed up. Everything that we work towards and work for and believe this is this is coming to conflict he's he's got to be a sinner he healed you on the sabbath now again he did not violate any of the law of moses he was violating commandments of men that were built on top of that law but he he had not violated any commandments of of men or of uh, of god only of men the man answered verse 30 and said unto them why, herein is a marvelous thing, that you know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God, and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. It's a logical statement. And you can feel him getting emotional. And he's like, I was born blind and I've been given this wonderful gift. And everybody acts like it's the worst thing in the world. It's wonderful. And you say, oh, we don't know where he came. It must be from Satan. Because he did this on the Sabbath. Well, God healed me through his power, through this man, through Jesus. And you don't know where he came from? What kind of spiritual leaders? How blind are you? that you can't see what God has done through this man. God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the righteous. He wouldn't be able to heal me unless he was from God. They cannot argue with that. And what they are thinking and assuming the whole time comes out in 
the next verse. So he has just hit them with a logical statement. Look, he has to be from God because he healed me. And God doesn't do that if, if you're in conflict with God. And they answered in verse 34, And said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Oh. Back to the beginning. They're already, they're like, this man's a sinner. He was punished. Either he was born in sin, and that's why he was punished with being blind, or his parents are sinners. You know, we, yeah, they testify, but they're sinners. They're sinful, right? These are not people worthy of our time and, and, and testimony. And they cast him out. That's the reaction. So it's not a logical reaction. It's not looking at the situation and saying, this man must be from God. We should listen to him. We should change. We should open our, our eyes. He opened this man's eyes. We should open our spiritual eyes. That's not what they do. Instead, they cast him out. It's a rejection of the truth, a rejection of the gift that God gives. It's the same with salvation. So many people reject God's gift of salvation, which, how do we obtain it? Through obedient faith. Just as this blind man obtained his sight, we obtain salvation through obedient faith, from doing what God told us to do. It's just the same. It's the same pattern all the way through the Old Testament. You look at at Noah... The message comes from God. There's going to be a flood. I'm going to destroy the world. That's what's going to happen. But I'm going to provide a way out for you and your family because you've been found righteous. You're going to build a boat. And I want you to make it this long, this wide. I want you to make it out of gopher wood. I want you to make it just like this, one window, one door. That's how I want you to make it. And Noah says, you know what? I have faith. I believe that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. But I don't have to do anything. There's nothing I have to do. I'm going to be saved by the grace of God. Therefore, I don't have to do anything. Right? I can't save myself. You know, It's only by the grace of God that I can be saved. If Noah had done that and said that, what would have happened to Noah? He would have drowned him and his whole family. But instead, he does what God tells him to do. Did Noah save himself? No. He did not. God saved Noah by giving him his grace and by giving him what he needed in order to be saved. But Noah had to obey through obedient faith. The same is true of the blind man. The same is true for each of us. If we want to be saved, we have to do so through obedient faith. We have to do what God said to do. We have to obey the gospel. Romans 1, Romans 16, both talk about obedient faith. That is the whole message of the book of Romans. And yet, people twist that idea around all the time, and there's so much confusion in the religious world. They can read this miracle, John chapter 9, and still miss the point, and still have their eyes closed. I, I, in doing research and, and study for this article, I read several denominational takes on, on this text, and they all missed the point. How did he get his sight? Obedient faith. That, that's the essential message here. And then the man goes out and finds Jesus and, and worships. No. Jesus finds him. He's been cast out of the synagogue. 
In verse 35, Jesus heard that they cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. Isn't that beautiful? You've seen him because I opened your eyes, and I'm talking with you right now. You're both with vision and with hearing. You're not blind or deaf. It's calling back to that, that statement that he said to the Pharisees, I've already told you how I was given my sight. Are you deaf? Jesus says, you're neither blind nor deaf. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful moment. In verse 38, he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. We talked about that in Bible class as well. This is Jesus accepts worship here. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come to the world, that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. The man came back and accepts that Jesus is the Son of God. He worships him, and now he's a follower of Jesus. But the Pharisees are still there. They're still watching these things. Are we blind? Is that what you're saying? What does Jesus say? Yeah, you're blind. (laughs) I gave this man his sight, and he sees. I've tried to show you your spiritual blindness, but you refuse to see, you refuse to hear, you refuse to be open to the message that God has given. So in summary, we don't want to be like the disciples at the beginning and not have empathy toward our fellow man who are lost in their sins. And just think of it academically and look to Jesus as our teacher, but we don't have any any feelings towards, any empathy towards those who are lost. We don't want to be like that. We don't want to be like the neighbors who are like, oh, there's been some kind of violation here. Let's call the authorities. We certainly don't want to be like the Pharisees, do we? We don't want to be spiritually blind. We don't want to to think uh, arrogant thoughts that we are better than other people. We don't want to be emotional. We don't want to be dismissive. We don't want to be disbelieving. We don't want to be like the Pharisees. We want to be like the man who was cured of his blindness, whose life was changed because of his obedience to what Jesus told him to do. That's who we want to be. And then we want to be steadfast in that, just as he was when he was essentially on trial. He knew the score. He knew what was going to happen. His parents knew. They'd be cast out of the synagogue from the spiritual family life of the Jewish assembly. He was cast out from that because what Jesus offered was so much better. And that's true this morning. If you're lost in your sins, if you've never put on Christ to baptism, you've never obeyed the gospel, we would so much encourage you to do that. If you don't fully understand it, if some of these ideas are new to you or or strange to you, we would love the opportunity to study with you. Just ask any of us and we would be happy uh, to do that. We want to share the greatest message, the gift that's been given to us. We want to share that with everyone. 
We have a debt that we owe because Jesus paid our debt. And we would want to share that with you if that's the case this morning. Or if for some reason you've been spiritually blind, you've been arrogant, you haven't been empathetic, you haven't been helpful, you've let sin come into your life in, in some way, we would encourage you to make that right this morning through confession, repentance, and prayer. If either of those is the case for you this morning, please come as we stand and as we sing.